Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. According to the UN, the global population is projected to reach 9 billion in 2050. Food production is one of the leading causes of climate change and creates between 25 to 30 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions every year. How can we feed the planet without costing the Earth? In a series of six episodes sponsored by Tetrapack, we will attempting to answer this question. Tetrapack is the world-leading food processing and packaging solutions company with a mission to accelerate decarbonization and transform the world's food systems. In the six programs, we will talk to different stakeholders and explore how they are working to eliminate hunger and reduce the impacts of the food systems on the climate. Today's program is about circularity and the role of the change makers in the business. We will discuss barriers to ensuring the circular economy becomes mainstream. In the past few years, there have been a lot of technical development, design and innovation that can transform some of the critical aspects of food systems and help develop circularity. With me today, I have two guests, Per Larsons, Head of Sustainability and Public Affairs at Rang Sales Group, a company pioneering recycling technology that can scale, recycle phosphorus and nitrogen and transform wastewater plants to resource plants, among other things. And from Tetra Park, uh, Christine uh, Levesque, Vice President, Collection and Recycling. Welcome, Per and Christine. Christine, you, you are working in a company that uh, is known for their packaging and technology process uh, in the industry, which is the heart of food. And you have three principles that guiding your company's circularity agenda. Mm. Design out of waste and pollution, keeping products and materials in use, and regenerating natural systems. Can you walk us through these principles? With, with pleasure, Kai. Designing out waste and pollution first. Well, despite its essential role in feeding a growing global population and coming back to packaging, food packaging must be designed and treated responsibly to avoid adding it to the global waste pile. You know that the global waste pile, I don't, I don't speak only about packaging, is measuring uh, already at 2 billion tons per year annually on this planet. So, of course, collection action is needed if a circular economy is to become a reality, because out of this mountain of uh, waste, just uh, around uh, uh, not even 9% is recirculated today. So we have, uh, we need uh, uh, actually, and we are acting uh, to uh, make that uh, circular economy and what I like to call low carbon circular, circular economy become a reality. This starts with 
policies, I would almost say, unfortunately, because uh, if we could act without policies, it would, uh, it would be nice, of course, but we need policies to actually make that circular economy uh, work. In the exploratory stage, uh, impact assessment uh, by the legislators is needed to ensure that the legislation that will actually constraint is a bad word, but which, which will actually guide the whole industry and harmonize the way the industry is, uh, uh, is uh, developing business and circulating materials, uh, this impact assessment uh, should not have unintended consequences. And I will give you some examples. In the case of perishable liquid foods, such as milk, juices, and plant-based drinks, this means treating the packaging and the food within it as one unit, rather than considering just the environmental impact of the packaging, while ignoring the importance of protecting the food content. Indeed, you don't assess the environmental footprint of a dairy packaging independently of the milk it contains. Singling out the packaging from its content and focusing the environmental benchmark exclusively on the recyclability of the packaging might lead to what I call these unintended uh, environmental consequences on the, on the food chain. Let me give you an example. You take three packaging, one shampoo packaging, one dry rice packaging, and one milk packaging. They need completely different barriers and functionalities to protect what they contain. So if you submit the three packaging to the same uh, uh, design for recycling criteria, you actually run the in, an intended risk to deteriorate the quality of what some of them pack. So the carton packing rice, in my example, might be the easier to recycle, but it is also the one requested the, the least barrier to oxygen, for instance. So my point, and I'm a good old engineer, uh, science-based, I think it is nonsense to compare in isolation, for instance, the environmental performances of a plastic bottle and of a, and of a milk uh, carton. They need to be assessed always in function of what they contain. By establishing this right uh, policies and regulatory framework, uh, the packaging industry, and more specifically the beverage carton industry, will be able to continue to invest confidently uh, in the recycling value chain of our packaging, as we did over the last uh, 25 years already, and in the development of ever more uh, low-carbon circular beverage cartons. Legal certainty is so crucial to ramp up our packaging innovation journey, and as you know, uh, investment is a catalyzer of progress. Um, talking, giving a, a, a few figures, uh, Kai, currently Tetra Pak has an annual investment rate of uh, uh, over 100 million uh, euro pre, uh, to further enhance the environmental profile of our packaging portfolio. And that created the conditions to put uh, 25 million aseptic cartons with a disruptive new paper-based barrier on shelves this year, something we are currently uh, uh, trial trialing uh, on uh, European shelves. And we continue co-investing with our partner recyclers at a rate of between 30 and 40 million euro per year, resulting in having, and let me take Europe uh, again as an example, um, to having more than half a million ton of beverage cartons being sorted and sent to 20 specialized uh, paper mills uh, across, across uh, EU countries. With the non-fiber part of our packaging being uh, 
processed in a second step recycling by uh, seven uh, facilities um, in Europe with a further six under development. So I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, uh, keep repeating that we walk the talk in terms of being recycled at scale when it comes to our category of packaging. Yeah. That was about uh, uh, the first uh, uh, principle. If we switch a bit the focus and take a value chain approach on, on how we keep products and materials in use, if you take a step back and you consider that Tetra Pak is pretty much has pretty much responsibility and role to play in the in the food system uh, value chain, and one third of food is lost or wasted as we speak, and there is a growing investment in technologies that aim to reduce this loss by creating food products recovering and reusing currently wasted low-value uh, side uh, food streams. Consumers seem very receptive to, uh, because of all the new food concepts uh, tested, uh, that we tested at Tetra Pak with consumers across the world as part of this year's Tetra Pak Index, by the way, the auditors, they can Google on uh, Tetra Pak Index and you will find that global research that we published recently that is exploring what's next in the food and beverage industry. This time, uh, this index is focused on the future of health and nutrition, food made with low-value side streams. And that sits among the top four uh, uh, interests amongst consumers uh, and has the highest rating for good for the planet and it scores also highly for animal welfare. Give me an example of what I call this low-value uh, side stream. At Tetra Pak, we are pioneering with our food processing business a whole soya processing method using the entire soya bean in production and increasing the fiber and protein content of the drink as a result. And it's not just about the environmental sustainability of these production processes. They also lead to greater efficiency meaning fewer resources are actually used and, as a result, lower costs incurred. So that's all benefit, and that's what we call turning, uh, turning also uh, circularity into business opportunity. Now, from, from food processing and food waste, food, food circularity, let's go back to packaging. If we talk packaging in the context of keeping packaging materials in use, as I was telling you, carton packaging are recycled at scale. I would add where adequate collection, sorting, and recycling infrastructure are in place, of course. Tetra Pak estimates uh, already uh, today that globally 1.2 million tons of beverage cartons, not only Tetra Pak, have been collected and sent for recycling to more than 200 paper mills in 2022. But the picture is very fragmented across the, the globe and long-lasting change can only happen again through right legislation and collect collective actions. Bold investment, of course, also uh, are associated with it. But again, investment, I used to have, uh, to, to have a boss saying money is not the problem if boundary conditions are there to invest. So uh, with good boundary conditions and legislation is an important one, investment will happen by the mm. industry. 
do understand that you you have to cover uh, when you have a system thinking and circularity in place, and you have to cover a lot of different type of areas and a lot of stakeholders involved in these processes. Where do you see the challenges to really get the right people in place for you as a change maker? The right people. Uh, I, I like your question, Kai, because I used to say business is first of all people. Um, the right capabilities to 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 make that transformation in the company is key. That's also uh, the focus of uh, more and more colleagues uh, in the business units uh, who are um, ambassadors of this uh, transformation to their colleagues and cascading that uh, down to the root of the business and the and the business decisions uh, as well in terms of. Uh, of a development of new products. I would say you need to combine these very rare skills of uh, having that um, holistic view without keeping it uh, too theoretical. So combining that holistic view with hands-on actions to make it happen. And that's, uh, that's first of all, working in a company like uh, Tetra Pak, cross units, and then outside of Tetra Pak, uh, working downstream uh, with our customers upstream, with our suppliers. So that requests skills of uh, collaboration, overall picture, but hands-on actions. Um, that means also education and training? <laughs> that means a lot of education. And what is, what is actually uh, something very much organized in uh, uh, in uh, our company is uh, the I would say the the, the internal trainings uh, education material webinars that uh, are organized for employees to be able to continuously educate ourselves and you know from time to time in this transformational uh, journey you need to do a reset you need to learn to unlearn. And, uh, and for this, absolutely, education and continuous education is needed within Tetra Pak, uh, uh, with the tools we have, but also using external voices, uh, the voices uh, of external experts uh, conveying their voice to our company. We have, for instance, an external advisory board uh, with external experts that, uh, that are giving precious advice and this uh, out-of-the-box out view, if I may, uh, that we so much need in this journey. How do you see uh, your role when we talk about uh, the natural systems and the biodiversity and uh, when we come into issues uh, around packaging and, and recycling? They, they, they can create a lot of different types of, of questions here, but uh, your relationship to nature. If we talk nature, Kai, um, as, as we all know, uh, human activity is causing unprecedented rates of uh, deteri deterioration of, of the nature, leading to the possible extinction of, of, of a million species uh, within decades. Um, um, global food systems are, to my own surprise, when I was educated to that, uh, uh, the primary cause of biodiversity loss as they drive deforestation and water use and are also impacted by what they cause. Um, at Tetra Pak, our ambition uh, considering that is to act for nature through responsible sourcing practices when it comes to the base material we use 
and strategic partnerships to conserve and restore biodiversity, mitigate and adapt to climate change, and contribute to global water uh, resilience. While striving to maintain our, our CDP forests and climate change A-list uh, leadership ranking that we secured for the fourth year running last year, in 2022, what we have done is to complete a water value chain analysis to really uh, granularly understand uh, our water footprint and water-related risks. We demonstrated with, with quite proudness a 95% water consumption reduction in the filling lines that we have in our portfolio uh, that are using Tetra Pak water filtering stations in comparison to those without this filtering station. The rollout of this uh, solution is uh, uh, really high speed going now. We also restored uh, 87 hectares of land, the equivalent of uh, 100 36 uh, football fields through our industry-first land restoration projects, the Araucaria Conservation Program in Brazil. How is it to be a change maker, to, to deal with this type of stakeholders that are outside your company and inside your company? How to collaborate? Change makers. Each of us is a is a is a change maker, and and the way we uh, together with uh, with each colleague in Tetra Pak, the way we uh, we act every day is to build bridges with our suppliers, with our customers, and structure that as as uh, as best as we can into actionable programs. If you take, for instance. Uh, the initiative we have with our uh, customers, uh, we have this program called Join Us in Protecting the Planet. And again, uh, you could Google Tetra Pak Join Us in Protecting the Planet initiative, which is, uh, uh, which is really um, a, a structured uh, program with our supplier where we really partner with them aiming at uh, uh, reducing by 50% uh, the emissions uh, uh, from our base material suppliers by 2030 compared to the 2019 uh, levels and to address the challenge uh, of climate biodiversity and circularity with them. In a similar way, we reach out to our customers to help them reduce their climate impact when they use our equip equipment uh, through more efficient packaging and processing equipment, as well as related uh, services, uh, together with measuring and benchmarking uh, plant performance for uh, optimizing uh, operations. Again, the, the place of data in this journey is so important. You need to measure what you are doing also as a source of motivation to track the progress you make uh, uh, little by little towards the target. Collaboration. I, I know I'm not the only one in your podcast to keep hammering it, but it's so key. Um, and let me give you an example of unconventional collaboration with, with stakeholders. Um, that can also bring new perspectives to solve complex problems. For instance, take Nomad Foods, that's uh, Europe's leading uh, frozen foods company. They have launched the Open Innovation Portal for academics and startups to tackle specific sustainability challenges. Well, similarly, 
Tetra Pak has tied up with Fresh Start, a leading food technology incubator, to support early stage startups. Our role in Tetra Pak collection and recycling by recycling the, the packaging uh, uh, materials, uh, we are also becoming a circular economy. You also provide uh, base material back to the uh, to the economy. Um, if if we look at how we partner with our suppliers of uh, polymers, uh, for instance, we are challenging them and co-developing with them uh, ways to uh, reduce uh, their carbon footprint. So that's, uh, that's one example. When we look at uh, 2030 and, uh, and the target that you are looking into for um, uh, the packaging material and, and, and the recycling, where do you see the, the main challenges for you to reach uh, your target? I would say... The main challenge I see, uh, Kai, is um, is about having <laughs> what I used to say, making products and products containing uh, recycled content sexy for consumers to buy. Um, uh, this is really a key challenge for a circular economy to work. You need this. Uh, you need to have this end market being developed. So you can reach that by two ways. Or you have legislators saying, Mr. and Mrs. starting tomorrow, when you buy a shampoo bottle or when you buy a transport pallet, it needs, it is mandatory, it needs to be produced with 50% recycled material. And if it's a bit grayish, you have no choice. That's legislation. That's one thing. Or you can choose the, the smooth, smoother way of, uh, of uh, I would say, uh, uh, educating consumers to actually like this recycled product and uh, uh, get out of this uh, niche thinking uh, uh, recycled product is, uh, is uh, less good than virgin one and get into uh, get, get full force into this circular economy. More than often, and, and now I speak more with my global pet, when you get out, uh, go, go out of Europe, you have not so much the, this, this um, trendy, uh, uh, I would say, uh, this trend of, uh, of liking recycled product is, is still still a niche for uh, for too few people it needs to become the thing you want to buy yeah well if you look at the 2030 and and uh, look at your own time have you spent your time within your company how, how much time are you spending uh, within the company or on the outside of the company to ah. reach your target Kai, that is that is a question I like. Uh, um, actually, I'm, uh, I'm 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 doing my best to be outside of the company, but I'm also a people manager, meaning that uh, whenever possible, and considering we have uh, strict constraints on uh, traveling, not only from a cost perspective, but from yes, from a total cost perspective, which is we really take care about CO two emissions. Me the first. And I have a team which is uh, composed of specialists uh, uh, helping uh, the markets and the partners, recyclers, to commission new uh, pulpers, to install new equipment. They need to travel. So I would like to travel much more, but I'm, I'm giving the privilege and, uh, and uh, the priority to my team because uh, they need to be there in the field. So um, that's how, uh, how <laughs> I act. So uh, do you think uh, you're going to reach the target to 2030? For your work? 
for my work, uh, target uh, uh, in uh, is is actually quantified. Uh, the, my target, the ones I get up each morning with, and my colleagues with me, is increase as much as possible the the recycling rate uh, of uh, of the packaging we produce. So we are more on the packaging drawer of the business, and 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 here we have quantified target uh, for uh, twenty five and twenty thirty. As an industry, we shook yeah. hands in Europe. Uh, by by 25, we should recycle, uh, effectively recycle 50% of the packaging put on the market, on the European market. And by 2030, uh, we should reach 70% effective recycling. And you think you're going to reach that? And uh, it will be very, very difficult. Uh, but each person one is a person one. So we are really doing our best. And again, Coming to my main challenge, I think the, the, the thing that will help us the most is to get this legislative boundary condition, uh, to have this end market, uh, this sexy uh, end product for the, the consumers and, uh, and to have the collection going. Because, of course, you can only recycle what is collected. So I'm the first one pledging for please make collection mandatory for recycling everywhere. Oh, great. Great, Christine. And, and uh, thank you. And I can see that uh, as a role as change maker in Tetra Pak, uh, you are a very key person to to drive the change. And uh, it was great to have you here in, in the program today. And uh, thank you for uh, your thoughts and, and uh, contribution today. Shared pleasure, Kai. Uh, as a change maker and transformer, how is your journey from a linear to a circle economy? Well, for us, it started with an insight, I would say in 2015. But I will start from the beginning, and that was in 1881, when we started as a transport company, transporting goods and people with horses. Now, three generations later, we are in a new crossroad. What, how, why, where would the company go? And our understanding in 2015 was that in the future, there is no waste. When current businesses are focusing on waste, we need to develop. We need to understand what our contribution will be in the future, because this family-owned company has the ambition to stay family-owned for generations to come. So that was the starting point. And to be honest, the whole economic system since the 1850s has been based on linear principle, and it has helped us when it comes to creating growth, better health and wealth for us humans. But now it creates problems instead, because we can't continue this way, seeing the global warming coming. So we understand we need to do it in a different way. But it's really troublesome to have people to change behavior, because everybody say, not in my backyard. I would like to do the same as before. The key component succeeding going forward is not competition, it's collaboration and to collaborate in new value chains. The food value chain is one of the value chains that we have chosen as our focus area. With the example of producing recycled nitrogen, potassium and phosphorus as a material input in the food industry. It seems to be more in, in the line of system thinking and you need to collaborate more, as you said, but uh, uh, it's, isn't it also a question of leadership? Definitely. It's a question of leadership, and we are a family-run company. So we are, I would like to say, 
we need to make sure that the world is possible to live on going forward. So it starts with the owners setting their purpose for the company. Then, of course, the leadership team and the leaders need to be dedicated to the task. And the short-term need of making profit is, of course, important in order to develop new solutions. But to make profit from greed, to invest in other things that is not on the right track, we're not doing that. We are investing in the future. And it means that we need to have leaders that are committed in the same spirit. One of the biggest abilities or competences that people need in the future, more sustainable and more circular world, is the ability to collaborate. And that is, I think, a key learning that I've learned in the last eight years and that we try to preach going forward. And I try to find those companies that also are willing to collaborate because together if we won't join forces and start sharing knowledge to each other. We start to learn from each other. Aha, there we might have a new possibility that we can do it together. So collaboration is the main thing I would like to focus on that is important when it comes to leadership. But do you see a need of that uh, more business leaders should take a step forward and uh, articulate its leadership to be more brave? I would say that business need to take the lead. Business is the one needed to solve our global problems in the end. But when it comes to developing new innovations that are needed, but also investors when it comes to entrepreneurships, if you combine that with a good heart, a good purpose, and as you said, system thinking, magic things can happen. And we have set very simple rules that says that when we develop a new solution, new innovations, first we need to make sure that it reduces the need of virgin use somewhere else. Secondly, we need to make sure that we decontaminate because the, since the 18, 1850s, we have put a lot of nasty stuff into our ecosystem. A lot of chemicals that shouldn't be there or heavy metals in the wrong places. Therefore, we need to decontaminate. And then thirdly, not creating new hindrances for future generations. So recycling material to reproduction, decontaminate the material flows. And thirdly, don't put hindrances to future generations. Where are the barriers uh, when you look at the stakeholders uh, in this process to to start the, the process of system thinking? The biggest barrier is in today's policies. We have based our ID to ha- of having unlimited sourcing of virgin resources that would never end. So more or less, all political policies says we can't use waste because we can't use the resources if it has been wasted. The political dimension is very, very important. But finally, a lot of things are happening now in the European Union. Legislation is now being reformed. Some changes will be good. Some will not be good and need to be altered. The most important principle will be that quality and not the origin will be the baseline. It will simplify a lot. But then, of course, we need to have the right to build the new plants needed. Again, we face the not-in-my-backyard syndrome. I don't want this factory, even if it's very sustainable, close to where I live. Well, you earlier mentioned phosphorus and nitrogen is part of our food system uh, and 
how it saved our way of life and now threatens to end it. Mm. Can you tell us why phosphorus and hydrogen are the heart of the food production? Well, without phosphorus, there's no life. Phosphorus is the basic in all DNA. So we need phosphorus to create life. And there's a lot of phosphorus around us, even if it's very dispersed and uh, a little bit everywhere. At the same time, phosphorus and fertilizers that were started to be used in the 1950s made us grow from 4 billion people to 8 billion people that we are now today. Uh, so you need to understand we have a basic need to continue producing more food. And the only solution until now, to be honest, has been to dig up the phosphorus from our mines. And that's need to end. And therefore, we have Rangshausa put a solution in place where phosphorus can be recirculated over and over again by using phosphorus that are running literally under our feet as the future mine. The mine is compared, if you compare it to other mines, is better. Meaning the more you take from this mine, the better for the planet, the better for the people on it, and the better for future generations. So start mining the urban flows, but they contaminate and please don't flush it away into our oceans. Does your company produce recycled phosphorus? We have this innovation in place where we have produced a lot of phosphorus in several pilots. We have an environmental permit process going on now in two countries, Sweden and Germany, for the first two factories. But to be honest, in the future, I wish to recirculate all phosphorus for more or less every megacity in the world. We will have more densely populated areas, and it will be hard for them to source their, their food since the food is produced somewhere else. And therefore, it's needed to recirculate these important nutrients, primarily phosphorus. But we also have a very unique solution for the nitrogen. Directly from the wastewater, we can extract the nitrogen molecule today and produce a nitrogen fertilizer. And in this case, we don't need to bypass the atmospheres as current techniques are doing. And the nitrogen, as you know, is normally in the atmosphere, but we take it down and use it to boost the food production. That's also needed. Well, you mentioned also the political system uh, when you innovate new way of um, uh, business models. Where is the barriers when we come to the European Parliament and, and the European to support this type of uh, circular economy? The fear that the politicians has to open up that possibility is a big barrier for us. But now we know for sure that it works, that it is safe. And I believe that the first two factories that will be built in Europe will probably ship the phosphorus outside of Europe in the beginning. And if you know your phosphorus story, you know that only 10% of what Europe needs are mined inside Europe with a mine in the northern part of Finland today. So we have, we have become dependent on countries like China, Russia, and Morocco. Uh, China closed its border, uh, I think it was in 2021, uh, and nobody more or less won't like to trade with Russia if they, if they can't. So it means that more or less whole European Union are dependent on one mine, uh, and that's the Moroccan mine. And when it comes to the Moroccan mine, we have another problem. There's huge content of cadmium and uranium in the ore. It means that we are slowly but surely poisoning the people of Europe with higher degrees from that ore. 
So uh, how long time will it take for, for you to uh, offer a solution on the market? I truly hope that by 2030, we have several phosphorus plants in Europe. And by 2040, we may probably have more than 30, more than 40. And then we'll suddenly be able to supply a huge amount to the industry that needs it. And in the wrong run, as I said, I would like to see phosphorus plants in each and every city where wastewater can become resource plants instead and produce huge amount of energy, not just fertilizers, but also phosphorus and clean water. The wastewater plant, where do you see the, the new plants? Is it easy to, to use the old uh, technology in this type of wastewater plant we have today? I'd like to see them leapfrog. Make sure you don't do the same mistake as we have done in Sweden or other developed countries. Make sure that you start by setting up resource plants because the, the magic thing is that the cost of producing the resources will probably pay the cost for setting up the plants in itself in the future. So then you suddenly you have a plus game, good for the environment as well, and you will also be able to supply yourself locally with food. I think that developing uh, will have a huge positive benefit for developing countries. They don't need to remodel their plants. They can start fresh from the beginning and directly focusing on resource thinking, a circular thinking where we don't disperse the phosphorus into our oceans. Of course, we need to be humble and understand that one factor will not change how we supply phosphorus in the world. My time span is that by 2030, we will have several in Europe. By 2040, we will probably have 30 or 40 plants. And finally, by 2100, there will be resource plants in all megacities around the world that will mine the phosphorus and become the biggest supplier of phosphorus to the food industry. But it will be with a higher quality and that will not have a negative effect on, on the people. Well, it seems to be that you're carrying a, a sort of a new technology uh, in this development. Do you think that uh, Rangsell's technology can transform the supply of phosphorus and nitrogen at scale? What we see is that we will, on this planet, probably become 10 billion people. And the urbanization is, is a reality. We are moving from the countryside to cities. And by 2100, we know that it's going to be at least 84 megacities around the world, according to UN. Many of them will have 20 to 30 million people in them. New York was the first one in the 1950s when they reached more than 10 million people. I believe that the megacities will be the future mine. We're focusing on the megacities in our way to communicate because they will have the highest concentration of phosphorus in the future. But each city, they need to make sure that they prioritize phosphorus and, of course, extract the other resources available. You mentioned also that uh, uh, you use megacities food supply. Um, can you tell us more about uh, your plans? Well, we have decided to try to talk with as many people as possible. And, of course, you can all follow us on the COP conferences. We'll be showcasing our improvements and have dialogue with people. We are tightly connected with different UN organizations where we will try to share knowledge as much as possible and create awareness about the possibility. 
And of course, we will end up in the biggest cities, primarily now in Germany, and maybe Netherlands, maybe Austria, maybe Switzerland in the coming years. So hopefully, you're living in one of those cities that has the potential to transform, to become a circular provider of these very important nutrients. We also in the program have with us Christine Levesque, and she's a vice president in Tetra Pak. And uh, do you have any collaboration with Tetapak? In the future circular economy, we talk not about working in branches. We talk about how we work together in value chains. And of course, Tetapak is one of the enablers, making sure that 10 billion people can have food distributed in the food value chain. So of course, they are very important. We even had a joint session together at COP27 in G Egypt. So my answer is definitely yes. But of course, they are not deeply into phosphorus, but are deeply into the food value chain. So in that way, yes. Thank you very much, Per, for uh, your contribution today as a change maker in the food system. Thank you, Kai. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, kaiembren.org. Thank you for listening.